Hey, I'm Sharon Pearson, and I really want to thank you firstly so much for joining me on the Perspectives journey. And your feedback is so appreciated. I'm so pleased that you're digging it. Please send in any questions you have about topics around different human perspectives that you'd love me to chat about. Coming up in this Perspectives episode, we have something a little different for you, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. At different times throughout the year, I am fortunate enough and privileged enough to be able to present live in one of our training rooms here at the Coaching Institute campus, which means I'm in front of a studio of people, wonderful coaches, people who are interested in coaching methodologies, who are simply passionate about being their very best selves. And we have cameras everywhere. It's one of the perks of having this beautiful campus and all the technology and the phenomenal team we have. So there's cameras everywhere, we capture it. We thought what better gift to bring you today in this Perspectives episode was a snippet from one of those trainings where I dive deep into an aspect of human behavior that I believe will really give you phenomenal value. So you get to see me live. It'll be either an online recording or it could be me live in front of an audience. Either way, it's going to be an aspect of how we can rock out at this thing called life in a way that has deep meaning for ourselves, because that's what this is all about. It's your perspective on a phenomenal life. So enjoy the show. You may find at different times, I might mention different things that aren't on camera. Use your imagination to fill in the gaps. Mostly, however, the narrative will unfold in a way that will make sense and I trust you get great value from. I look forward to your feedback and I hope if this goes well, we get to bring you more shows from live events that we do here at the campus here in Melbourne, Australia. Wow, throwing things at me from the audience is a poor start. <laughs> uh, Glam, is the sound coming through okay? Yes. Wonderful. So thank you for coming. I think it's why, well, hello. It's so great that you're here. How wonderful. Are you getting value from it? Yes. Yes. We're aiming next year to have 300 people here. Wow. So good start. Matt and I were just saying it should be 300 people. We should have some booths out there and rotating speakers and workshops in different rooms. What do you think? And who's seeing perhaps they may be delivering one of those workshops? Yeah. Don't you think, Matt? They should be having little workshops going, brainstorming, things like that. I think it would be wonderful. So I'm here today to have a chat about what is most valuable to you. There's a couple of things I'd like to slot in there as well. Firstly, in 2020, uh, we're moving the school, TCI, more towards evidence-based. You guys have heard about that? Yes. So it's old news to you. Yeah, you're all over it. Yesterday's news. That's almost old. Uh, so we're going to start incorporating into it positive psychology, uh, CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy. What else? Solution-based coaching. Strengths-based coaching. What else? Family therapy, coaching. Yeah, so there's a lot coming next year. Now, to, that's great, isn't it? Yes. So by the end of next year, Matt and I are anticipating that the assessments will be upgraded and 
incorporating all of this as well. So it will become a benchmark. So we want the whole school to have that, which means I'm going to take over advanced skills so I can start teaching what I've been studying. So that's the reason I want to move into advanced skills. Who's going to be joining me in advanced skills? Okay, yep, good, good. So I won't be alone, which would be weird. Um, <laughs> I'm going to run it twice next year and after that just annually and with the goal that Matt's going to want to be involved with that as well because he's doing lots of work in the same area. So in advanced skills, we're going to start introducing um, strengths-based coaching, solution-based coaching, positive psychology and coaching, uh, just a whole bunch of stuff that's going to flip the lid on how you approach coaching because I know we've done stacks of work in emotional world, stacks of work in the quest work, and I want to make sure it's we want to make sure it's really balanced so both messages are there because we think they're both important to coaching. How does that sound? Good, good, good. I'm really pleased. Are they ready for the other announcement, Matt? The glam, Matt, glam, Matt, glam, Matt, glam, Matt, glam. Glad? I, I don't do that. <laughs> no, not glad. <laughs> the bit about the other things that are... Shall I say anything about the... the Meta 2? The meta two? Do it. Do it. <laughs> so we're also moving towards evidence, more evidence-based in meta two as well. So for those of you in ProCoach, which you get, and some of you are getting meta two separately, we're going to move those five days to become more, it's already evidence-based because the meta profile is evidence-based, but there's other things we can teach you in there as well. So that's going to become radically different over the next two years. The next one will probably remain reasonably consistent, but we're looking to upgrade that as well. How does that sound? Awesome. Yeah, so we're just really wanting to, and then you're going to see the changes online as well. Now, that's going to take at least three years. This is thousands of hours of content needing to be reviewed. Uh, we've had some people post online their interested in your researchers. We haven't got their um, CVs yet, but we're hoping we get them and we can start finding a team of people to work with me, Matt and Glam, and start making the whole thing evidence-based. I'm not reviewing all that material solo, and if I did, it would be a 10-year project. So I need help. So asking me when it's going to happen, just ask me how many researchers I've got. Does that make sense? Because yeah, yeah. it really is beholden on us getting people around us who are willing to do the research and understand what research methodology means and then can summarise the research and explain how our content links to research. So that's coming, which will be great. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's fantastic. It's a lot of work. So if you know good researchers who are prepared to send a CV, please <laughs> let them know that we would love to have a conversation. And because we need a team, it's not can't just be me and one assistant waiting for me to tell them what to do. It needs to be a go-getter who understands they're going to take practitioner and map it all across to the research in all those fields, not just one field. So it's not just evidence-based coaching, it's also positive psychology, CBT, family therapy, and so it goes. There's so many fields you can draw on. I was listening to a podcast this morning which did my head in I, and I'm not going to include this in the research base we're moving towards, but um, time and space is no longer considered in physics the basis of our experience. I'm going home to lay down. I don't know what you're doing. but So you know how we always say time and space is the basis of reality? Well, and physicists have. Well, physicists have. You might know better than them, but physicists have. <laughs> and now the latest out of physics and maths, so not philosophy and not Tiprek Chopra having a view that sounds very quanty, but the science is saying that time and space 
is not reality. I will not be including that in your assessment. (laughs) So apparently it's simply a representation of a deeper reality. Well, everyone's saying, you're saying yes, like you know what that means. The physicists are saying they don't know what it means. I'm telling you now, no one in this building knows what that means. We can't. The greatest minds in the world don't. They're only just starting to breach what they could mean. Not what we feel, not what we sense, not what we meditate. Do you get what I'm saying? The science. And that's blowing my mind. That is blowing my mind. What that means and what that means is the observer and what we think we're observing and how we can never observe someone else's consciousness. And what does that say to coaching? I can't possibly coach you. I can only coach the representation of you. And even my representation of you is flawed from the beginning because I believe you exist in that space right now. Apparently you don't. (laughs) I'm just going to lay down. It's going to be laying down. It's too early to drink. That's what they're telling me. It's never too early for drugs. I'm going to manage my way through this. So there's fun stuff like that to consider when we're coaching. Who are we being present to? Are we being present to ourselves? Are we being present to the client? But we're never present to the client because the client just shifted who they are just then. So we're never actually, and we just changed just then. So we're never being present to each other. We're only present to affect simile of each other. Now, if that doesn't do your head in, it should. And if you think it's not, you're not being smart enough about it. Do you get that? If you're being relaxed about it, like, yeah, sure. Uh-uh. That means you're not giving it enough thought because it's worth your thought. Because that means when you're with someone, the way you think you're perceiving them is already wrong. Now can we lay down? Yes. <laughs> Nana nap. And I find that really, I've got a lot of tea now. Because I perceive too in this time and space, does that mean? <laughs> so, and this stuff should make us uncomfortable. One of the, I listen to Sam Harris a lot. Who here listens to Sam Harris? Well, you should. And he's just done a podcast which nobody's going to understand. Like they're already saying no one's understanding a word they're saying. They understand the there's and the ands. But everything else is, and their names. We believe we understand their names. But he's just literally put out a podcast with one of the most eminent physicists in the world talking about this and saying with great humility, we don't understand this. So we are all going to be on the page, if that's okay with you, we don't understand this because the greatest minds can't. But what I can glean out of it is I should really question who I think I'm speaking with. Not question them, question who I think I'm speaking with. And if I do that, then I've got to start thinking about how I think about it. And if I'm going to think about how I think about it, I've then got to think about how I think about thinking about it. <laughs> There's a logic to what I'm saying. There is great humility on what I'm saying. Because it's not enough to think, oh, I don't know who I'm speaking with because your reality is changing or changing. No, well, now what are you going to do with that? It's not interesting just to say who I speak, I'm spe- just changed and who I think you are just changed and how, who I am in seeing you just changed. Therefore, we're never seeing each other. Good to know. It's a magic trick. What are you going to do about it in a coaching session? How do you translate that into something you can operationalise? How do you turn it into an action or a sequence of actions? But given there's no time, it's not a sequence. 
Now, the other thing they challenge is cause and effect. Okay. Soluble aspirin right now. They're questioning cause and effect. Because if you question time, there's no cause then effect. I know. Yeah, I know. But we don't know what to replace it with yet. So the argument is it's the simplest way to represent what apparently is going on that no one understands yet. So we don't understand it, but it's not cause and effect. It's simply a web of experiences that have already occurred. How do you operationalize that in coaching? Now, I don't have the answers, but I reckon it's worth pondering the questions. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. yeah. I'm just wondering if in establishing the rapport with, with the client and having... I'm just wondering if establishing the rapport with the client and having a deep, intimate connection somehow transcends the unreal world. Okay, so what they say about that, and they literally talk about two people's consciousness... They're saying that your consciousness next to my consciousness, which neither of us, are, neither of us can perceive. So they estimate we perceive 1% of our consciousness. So the 1% of my consciousness I think and tell myself and kid myself and pretend I'm aware of, along with your 1% that you pretend you blink you're aware of, that somehow translates into a new consciousness. I'd agree with it up to that point. It's the 1% that somehow interacts and forms something new. But should we, we be worried too much about this no. when what we do works? Um, should we be worried about it? I never suggested worry. No. I would never say it's worry. I say it's a true playful delight yeah. and adventure. And I don't know what to do with it yet, Mark. No. That's the fun. No, I love the adventure. I love the adventure. It's never a worry. It's simply so if my 1% showed up this way and your 1% showed this way, firstly, we're already incredibly inaccurate. Already credibly inaccurate, which is why I have so much trouble with social media when someone bags out someone because they made a mistake. So we're bagging out our 1% that we're aware of thinks we can judge their 1% they just did where they made a mistake and that does not sum up the 99% they're not even aware of, but decide with they're a bad person. That's where I think we should worry because the way it's been weaponized. And that to me is a worry. But in terms of us coaching, I think it's pure delight, wonder and adventure and it's a wonderful dance. And to think that I'm in any way coaching you is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and for you to believe I'm coaching you, fall down laughing. And that to me is the adventure because we're not, it's not a coaching relationship with each other. It's simply those two 1% got together and somehow formed a different version of 2%. That's all that's happened. But the other 99%, Hasn't, hasn't changed. And, and yet it works. And yet it works. Yeah. And it's enough. It is enough. And it's, it's enough. Beautiful. So, yes, I love your thought. Again, I would, the worry is when we use this to weaponize against others. And, and that's one thing I won't have at TCI in our communities, as no, you guys know, the one thing I'm fierce about and will never apologize for moderating our groups the way Tish does and the way our team does. Because the moment it's used to weaponize, judge, belittle, or think that someone can't make a mistake and still be human and wonderful is to deny 99% of what we're not even being aware of. So, well, we're not aware of 100% of that person. I think I'm aware of your 1%, but I'm just telling myself that. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I'm just coaching myself. 
I'm going to need something stronger. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's really interesting discussion. The reason I think these kinds of discussions are worthy of coaches is because one of the things I want to teach you guys next year is existential coaching, which is what I've also been getting trained in. And, and this is an existential conversation. It is literally discussing what is this and does this matter? And if it matters, what the fuck do you do with it? Now, that is the heart of wonderful coaching on any day. So I, I think more of these discussions are important and make us more well-rounded coaches. And then I'll go further and I'll come to you and then I'll say, I don't think we can coach existentially, like what is the meaning of life, the universe and everything, if we're not taking that journey ourselves. So to have this discussion is very important. To, you can't sit passively by and have a conversation about, the meaning of life and the meaning of what's the point of my existence if you're not willing to have the discussion and then say you're trained in that type of coaching. You're not. Because it's, it's definitely my, I've got to put under a microscope my 1% and to ask you to do that. Does that make sense? So it's very much a discussion that's worthy of having. Yeah. So, um, oh, thank you. Um, so when we're talking about judging the 1% and your 1%. Yeah, my 1% going to judge that 1%. Yes, 1%. It's hilarious already. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so where does that leave you when you are talking about the people around you that are good for you and bad for you? Well, there's good for me and there's bad for me and then it doesn't have to be judgment. Okay. There's a difference between judgment and judgment. Well, isn't there? I can judge someone because I've decided they're bad and boo, but I can show good judgment and say, that ain't working for me right now. Where my 1% is showing up right now, that's not probably going to be a good match. So there's judgment and judgment. Does that make sense? I'm talking about where the worry is, is where it's used as judgment. To point a finger and not remember there are three pointing right back. It's that what I'm talking about. To show good sense, to make a good decision is completely separate to what I'm discussing. Yeah, it's cool. We now have two, two definitions minimum of judgment in this time and space. <laughs> Which doesn't exist. <sighs> Did yesterday. It was fine. <laughs> 10 o'clock this morning I had time and space. Now I got nothing. <laughs> Isn't it cool? It's really cool. So that's the kind of place we're going to next year along with the science. So that's all theory. It's not science yet, but it's heading to, they're building some maths models for it that I will never teach and I'll never look at. I can assure you of that right now if you're worried. But the other part of it, there is some research behind it. We're going to start bringing that and combining it. How's that sounding as a year? The other thing I think that we need to really look at, were you guys expecting to take notes and then go away and take, do three actions with me? No. I could do that, but it's just not my thing. Is that all right? I could ask you to mind my beautiful shoes, which I believe do exist in this time and space. <laughs> Far more important than existential coach. I think you're right. The other thing I think coaching needs to start considering as an industry or as a body or whatever not just the research, which is kind of limited and questionable, but improving, not greatly, but improving, is where do we draw our knowledge from? 
you know, do we draw it from psychology? Do we draw it from sociology? Do we draw it from family therapy? Do we draw it from, I mean, where do we draw our questions from? Where's the limit? You know, the number of times I get asked when I do a, an event with people who don't know me and they see me do my thing, they say, what's the difference between what you've just done and therapy? And I don't know the line. And I don't, and should I? And I don't have the answer. Because I'm just being me, my 1% showing up with that knowledge and the ability to hold that moment. So, you know, a lot of people will criticise, and not me, but they will criticise some coaches saying it's looking a lot like therapy, you just don't have the bit of paper. <clears throat> I, what, where's the line? When is it not a coaching question, a therapy question? When is it not a therapy question? How am I doing here? To me, it's all therapy questions. It's not to say I'm doing therapy. But if I ask a client, for example, what are you going to do with that? I know that exists in counselling as a standard question. I know it exists in psychology. I know it exists in therapy. I know it exists in family therapy and couples therapy. So where's my line? And where should the line? And should there be a line? And is this a reasonable criticism? And should we do anything about it? They're the questions I'm considering for TCI. Are these questions we need to answer? Do we need to do I need to defend my right to ask a therapy-based question that was drawn from therapy but I'm using in a coaching context? Now, I know the line's really easy to say, well, I don't work with clients who are diagnosed. I don't work with clinical populations. I work with non-clinical populations. But it's still therapy questions. And so I'm delighted by what I'm going to do with that and how I'm going to bring the evidence and how these research going to bring the evidence in to show the I want to show how these questions can be valid. The way I want to look at it is this. I think. I don't know yet. I think I'm going the big board. You can't stop me. I don't know if what I'm writing is worthy of the big board, but the big board doesn't exist, so <laughs> it's fine. I think, and I haven't got there yet, so bear with me. This will happen over the next year or so. I want to develop a theory of coaching that is inclusive of this conversation. And this is the way I think about it, and I'd love your input and help me shape it. It's not landed. I certainly haven't hit the back of the box yet by a long shot. But if below the axes are the things that are in our past, let's say past is here. I've never done this before. Let's see if I can work it out. If past is below the axes and future is above the axes over here, we now have two finite points. We now we can focus on the past, we can focus on the future, and obviously this will be the now point. Then I think, and I don't know, but I think this is how I coach, that this is looking at healing. And this is looking at building. This is how my brain works when I coach and train. And traditional coaching would say what? What would pure coaching theorists say? That's it. And you'd say pure therapy with the hope of improving that. What do you think? I believe the way my head's working for theory of coaching 
is that is the most accurate template that I've got now when I watch what coaches do. I think. I'm working on it. And this is part of my thinking. Who knows strengths-based coaching? Okay, so strengths-based coaching is your work with, and there's research to support it, the same as there's research to support the value of healing. Strengths-based coaching would be, what are you great at? And the client tells you. How can you apply what you're great at to what you're doing now? That's it, basically. Who's ever been so miserable the thought of being asked what they're great of sends them back to bed? <laughs> so there's a time and a place. If you had asked me 17 years ago what I was great at, I would have said being miserable and alone and disconnected and unavailable. I would have said they were the things I was great at. So how useful is that question to someone who's like that? It adds more anxiety. Did someone say something? Yeah. Don't apologise. That's true. I remember the first time you said that to me. Hey, I punched you. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful times. <laughs> um, yes, anxiety. However, would it not um, highlight where you're at? Like when you realised what you were great at? And you regret, you oh my God, that's what I'm good at? You know, wouldn't that question? Yeah, except strengths-based coaching isn't meant to be utilised like that. Right. It's meant to be operationalised through listing actual strengths. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and there's 24 of them. Yeah. And you're meant to pull from the list. Right. And I would have looked at the list blankly and going, yeah, that's not me. <laughs> Makes sense? Yes. Yeah. For me, what comes up, not just anxiety, if you were to ask someone a question of what they're good at and they're in that space of, I suck, um, it could put them into even more self-judgment totally. Totally. and self-deprecation. Absolutely. And they could potentially end up in an even worse position I agree with you. than they came in. That's where I'm at. That's right. That's why I think we've got to look at the whole, not just the part. And there's someone's hand over here, Amy, if you're up for it. Go, Amy. <laughs> and that fits so beautifully into um, Matt's session last night about okay. the self-image and that you know the walls go up and our ego is like, no, don't tell me that I'm good if I have this self-image. So yes, it just fits beautifully. Yeah, we can't argue self-image. So if this, this to me <laughs> is a framework that perhaps upgrades what we think coaching is. It's not well-received because traditional coaching is only this and this. It's just looking at the strengths. And it says anybody who's all at the strengths shouldn't be getting coaching because they reckon they're a clinical client. I think it's bullshit. I was not a clinical client. I was just somebody who's really down on myself with low self-esteem. That doesn't mean I qualify as clinical. But a lot of people would argue it puts me in the clinical category, that low self-esteem, and I don't believe that. I think low self-esteem is part of the regular human condition <laughs> that regular people can manage. I really do. It does, if it doesn't need drug therapy, you're all good. We can figure it out. So that's why I'm proposing this. In med this is where I think metadynamics is heading. Not landing. I haven't arrived yet. It's been six years, seven years in the making. But I think this is the whole person. And then I can improve the axes in different ways, and I'm open to feedback. But any thoughts on that that perhaps we can, I have to consider or anything I've left out? Yeah? I don't know. 
does. And the way that I see it is if you're coaching somebody and you're getting them to look from the future back at the past to see what they can positively take with them and what, what they want to change, how does that work with that? Yeah, so that's a learning curve. So all of this, all of coaching, if all of coaching was something, I believe it's about learning to improve. Learning for the purpose of improving life conditions. Life conditions and well-being. So if that's coaching, which I think it is, still working on it. Any definition is good enough. I know of a thousand. But my definition today is it's learning for the purpose of improving life conditions and my sense of well-being, my well-beingness. Yeah. Probably would switch them around because I like the being before the having. So I'm improving <coughs> my well-beingness and life conditions. Then I'm going to draw from my past for the purposes of improving my well-being and life conditions as long as it's helpful. Yeah. But I would also say I need to look to my past to heal Correct. Yeah. the child that wasn't loved yeah. in that moment yeah. and and only once I've done that can I turn it into the learning for my well-being now yes so I need to do the extra step yeah. below the line before you can invite me to go above the line and say this is how it helps me yeah yeah, yeah. So it's, it's not a, enough just to talk about the past I think that's pointless it's a hole isn't it it's not either. it's a it's black not hole above or below the line. It's a hole. just and this is what I think too many people do hang on we'll, I'll come to you that's all cool I think too many people um, get so caught up in the rumination and the self-reflection and thinking about themselves, they think that's doing good, but it's not. It's harming because it's not done from the perspective of I am learning this for the purposes of improving my well-being and my life conditions. I'm just learning about me. Stop. The, the, the emptiness of that, the vacuousness of that, it literally does lead to depression. There's research for that. So I'm trying to add purpose to the reflection, yeah. but I think it's a three-step process. Yeah. We've got to recall the reflection. Yeah. We've got to deal with the reflection, which is still down here. Then we've got to decide what are we going to do with how we've dealt with it to incorporate it into building our future. Yeah. So a lot of the time it's going through all the steps. And it could be you go through the steps and get to here and realise to make it part of the future, you could never do that again. It needs to be different. So I know someone who, I can't remember who it is. It's a I've had a lot of conversations recently, but, oh, yeah, it was them. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They're so, they were raised in such a way that their mother literally said, I hate you. When they said, I love you, they said, I hate you. Very obviously, you can predict the adult outcome. So in the past, that happened. They didn't do this, and they're trying to build a future. I'm kind of thinking the model's needed. Now, I'll go, I'll go into a little bit more for you. They were told they were hated, and they think their healing is by getting someone else to change. And I'm looking at this going, I'm not seeing that supported by this model. Does that mean I should change the model, which is insane, because no one has to change for my happiness or my well-being, or do they need to change their thinking? 
And that's why I think this model could be useful for you guys as coaches. Because nowhere on this model does it say, so specifically they experienced abuse, which they haven't dealt with directly on, the, they haven't healed them. They believe the pathways, a lot of people do experience abuse if that perpetrator gets what's coming to them. They've spent years trying to get what that person needs to get. Where's the focus, internal or external? External. Where's that? And so, but it's not. It's your future. It's not their future. (laughs) This is applied to self, not others. And there's no way that person has to be a part of your future. Nor do they have to do what you want them to do and nor could you expect them to do it. In fact, they're probably going to deny you what you think you want to do after years of pursuing them simply because that is the nature of a perpetrator. How am I doing here? To deny that they're a perpetrator is, is part of human nature. Of course I'm not the antagonist. I'm the victim all the time. That's human nature. So there is a 17 years committed to getting this person to pay, thinking it will heal them and build their future. And it's not. Because they've had the day in court and it didn't change shit. Now you've heard of endless stories like this. So the way I'm framing that, because I already know all this, but I think this model helps frame that. I think this model will help you when you teach your clients. Well, nowhere in there does it say someone else has to change for you to heal and build your future. All of this is in this. So I'd say the now dot is a self dot. How's that? It's self in the now. Now, putting aside the podcast said there is no such thing as self. I can't go on. This is what I was listening to before I came here and I wanted to teach you this. I'm like, what do I do? There's no self, there's no past, there's no future and there's no now. I'm like, okay, there's nothing. Stop it. But anyway, given we're going to work with the wonky limits that we have, if self and now is at the centre, nowhere does it say the world has to change. How am I doing here? So to me it's a very um, pragmatic model, which is what I'm aiming for, to I'm I'm wanting to take the airy-fairy crap out of it that some people can do, which is, oh, if they, you know, if my mother apologises, I'll be okay. Well, that's airy-fairy, that's technical speak, airy-fairy shit. Because they don't know they did anything wrong, and if they did know they did anything wrong, they could justify it, because who here's any time done anything wrong and then justified it? Well, given that's human nature, that everyone's justifying and rationalising every decision we made, your mother's no different. So seeking her to stop rationalising, even as you rationalise an impossible (laughs) fucking possibility. How am I doing here? Are you hearing it? The impossibility of rationalising, if they apologise, I'll be okay. Already, that's you've rationalised your need for them to do something. So you're now rationalising, thinking your mother's not going to. Good luck. Yes? So the answer can't be that we bring faulty logic and expect somebody else to not use faulty logic. So this model is my attempt to, okay, let's just get down to the ground. Let's just get centred and actually do the work that's going to help rather than the work that we think is going to help us feel better. How am I doing here? Thoughts? Oh, a lot. (laughs) Over to you, Amy. (laughs) Wherever the mic goes, I will follow.
my my brain feels like it's expanding so much at the moment from looking yeah, me at too. this model. Like my head feels like it can't contain my brain right now. It's going to leak. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I've been sitting here trying to place like what I do in a process in this model and I'm thinking. Good. Yeah. Nice thinking. Um, and I'm thinking, okay, if we start to heal the past, we open up some more possibilities to actually allow some room to think, well, what could my future self start to be? And then from the well, self in the now. So grab that because if you heal some of that, what you perceive as possible has to change. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Because consciousness job- just changed. Yeah. <laughs> and then our, I'm, I'm then thinking, well, our job as a coach is to hold the space for both and kind of keep adjusting as the client adjusts. And then from whoever they are in the now, in whatever moment that is in the coaching session, they can start to make the past mean something else based on a choice they want to make on who they want to be in the future. Great. So let's take that and put it in the model. As they build a new reality, how they define and redefine this has to shift. Yeah. Good work. Thank I love you. it. Thank you. So you're implying a two-way straight. I like that. How are we doing with that? Do we dare? <coughs> it's our black pen that doesn't exist. Keep going. Yeah. Think it. Do that. And implicit in what you're saying is we don't get addicted to any quadrant. That's that's what you're hearing? Yeah. You did that? And are you hearing that in it, implicit in this? That doesn't mean, because a lot of us come into coaching for personal healing reasons, but we can't then get bogged down in the healing. If we're not balancing out this, we're not progressing, if we accept my definition. How's that sitting with you? Because if we just keep staying in this... We're not learning for our future. <laughs> we just, well, the technical word is wanking. <laughs> yes, wherever you go next, Amy, I'm with you. Oh, and I'm in your hands. Yeah, thanks. I was just thinking that that just increases our flexibility and everything. It should. Getting rigid in one spot. Great. Good. And I believe that. So maybe it's a way of looking at a, at a micro level, a literal coaching session. Did you balance in this coaching session the four quadrants? Or if you stayed in one for a lot of the session, are you balancing that over a series of sessions? And it can form a help of rebalancing, recalibrating where your attention needs to flow. Because remember, you're only dealing with 1% of your consciousness you think you're aware of. <laughs> and if your 1% is addicted to past... That has to show up in your coaching. And this, my, I want to include this eventually when we get to it, this can become part of how mentors give our coaches feedback. I expect coaches to coach all four in a session for assessment at different levels of competence based on practitioner, advanced, master and pro. But I want to see them transcending the need to just what do you think that was about? You know, some past questions we could then come up with and have a lot of fun. You know, what was that about? What was going on? When did you decide that? These are past questions. Then we can ask some healing questions. 
what would you have wanted to have said to yourself at the time? How would you have wanted your how would you have wanted your big people to have been with you at that time differently? What is it you would want to say to that child now? Healing questions, building questions. What can you draw on based on what you just learned that would enable you to approach this moment with more kindness and self-compassion? Building questions. Future questions. Moving forward, how will you approach it differently next time? So it becomes its own sequence of coaching questions to build towards the definition of coaching. How am I doing? Are you seeing new connections? Great. Does that satisfy what you were thinking? To the extent to which we're aware of what we're thinking? into the past and the healing as well and not exclude that. But now having a sequence, like a, a plan to move forward, make yes. sure you cover off every quadrant. Yes. It sounds even better. Yes. Fantastic. Can we make sure Matt's in the room hearing this, please? Because I expect him to teach it. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it, Amy. I'm not going to... Um, just that my mind is <laughs> wandering... Going back to what you said earlier, like now the new theory is there's no time and space and no self and all that stuff. So all that I'm stuff, exactly. Asked, yeah. <laughs> so I'm just thinking, like, so, so we, we talk about the past events, and even yesterday becomes the past when we move in time. And then... Oh, well, now's the past. Now's the past. Now's yeah. the past. Oh, now's yes. the past. It's yes. So, so for some, somebody who's had a past event and who's caught up in that event, that past might be repeating like even yesterday, day before and even now. Today. Yeah. And then because they haven't done what? Healing. They're just stuck in the past. Or they're in the past thinking somebody else has to change. Yeah. So they can't move to there. Yeah. So if you're thinking is like if there's no self, you're just... Your mind is just a, just a spot in a speck in somewhere in the universe. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. okay. Yeah. Sure. So, and our, like, whatever we look like, it's just an avatar or whatever. Yep. Just um, taking our yeah. space in the mind. Um, how, would we, how would we project to the I love that you think future. you've got a question. But you don't know what it is. I just yeah. love it. <laughs> I think there's something here. I, this is where I've been all morning. Because, because I'm a Buddhist, so Buddha has thought about this before. Yeah, of course. He's, like, he's saying that there's no self. Like, yeah. And well, I'm, this is where I draw it yeah. from as well. And it's, it's amazing like when you think about those things. Yeah. I haven't gone that deep, but it's, it's a different study. <laughs> it guess. is. Yeah. And, and it has usefulness to a point in coaching. But it can't be the only point in coaching. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And he's, he has talked about like being aware of your mind and your mind is the least investigated place yes. on earth, on yeah. the whole universe. Yeah. Don't uh, talk yep. about the universe but Got talk it. about your mind. And when you were talking about this, that came into my mind. Great. And I'm just thinking how to relate all that. Like, I'm well, asking I think it relates. Think, yeah. My, I'm very simple. I'm just going to directly relate it. That what you're saying, what you're proposing, easily invites the insertion of this model in how we think. 
Because where are you thinking? Are you just thinking about the past? Are you thinking about all four quadrants? Are you just thinking about self? Or are you thinking about how self is connected to the one? These, it proposes questions. It generates questions. I love that. questions from people in like coaching and being a great philosopher and and a psychologist like trying to project from their past to the future and I was thinking I better go and study those books. (laughs) Sure I again I believe we can't go past to future without dealing with the healing now. I'm going to keep saying that and I've done enough coaching now that as great as the Buddhist philosophy is Unless we, to say there is no suffering except expectation is not super helpful for my client who's trying to heal from sexual abuse. It isn't enough. And studying the Dharma is not enough. It's not getting them there because the message is an implication of wholeness and the client doesn't believe they're whole. So until I help the client experience wholeness, they're not ready for Dharma. They're just not. And to sit and meditate for some people, is literally neurologically damaging. So, and not that all Buddhism suggests meditation, but there's one school that doesn't. But I'm saying the answers aren't all there for the person who doesn't, who believes they're fragmented or the person who doesn't sit well with self or have any sense of self. And, in fact, saying the Buddhist philosophy, there is no self, there is just the oneness, is incredibly unhelpful because they need boundaries. Are you hearing me? Could you acknowledge what I'm saying? You're hearing it? Yeah, yeah. So that's, I love Buddhism and then I bump up against the reality of a client who experienced sexual abuse or whatever the trauma is where they weren't listened to as a child and they're locked developmentally in no boundaries or no idea how to ask for a healthy need to be met in a cool way. The oneness isn't helpful. It breaks down. I, me telling them the oneness and dharma and to meditate literally harms them because they meditate into the anxiety. So meditation is not, and mindfulness is not healthy for anybody who's atypical ever until they've resolved it or they just accept they should not do mindfulness. And that's cool too. The deep medita- meditation which, which is taught in Theravada Buddhism, that's different to the superficial meditation yeah. which is going on. True. And, and that, um, that I think encompasses healing as well. I, I'm going to say again, I dig but that I you do. And I'll introduce you to a couple of clients who will go to their graves telling you you're wrong. Because your idea of deep meditation, you can trust yourself to go within. There are people, you need to hear this. You can't have dogma. Buddhism should not be dogma. So let go of your need for it to be true and accept for some people this will never be true. Yeah, there's truth in it for you. But Buddhism is truth for you. It's not truth for you, so therefore everyone. True? Yeah, so there are clients, if you were to say deep meditation, even if you taught it to them, you would do neurological harm. I can't do meditation. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, not great at it. I can do the superficial. I can do the Aussie one. <laughs> the whole 10 minutes in the morning and you're good to go and you've meditated? <laughs> or mind, go and take a break from your desk for two minutes and be mindful crap? It's not, that's nothing to do with mindfulness or Buddhism or meditation. Mindful is you're mindful to this moment and this moment and this moment and that's how you live. That's truly practicing mindfulness. It's not a technique you go and practice. 
to relieve stress. That's Australian Buddhism. This is Australian Buddhism. It's, it's not. It's just not. We co-opt this stuff and think we're so proud of ourselves. Yeah, I would literally, for some clients, reject they should meditate. And that's okay. And that's another problem I've got with post-psych and some of the strengths work is they only look here and here. And they'd say mindfulness is a huge part of it. And asking positive questions and strengths-based questions is a huge part of it. I know clients, if you just focus, who knows clients, if you focused on strength, they'd cry. Yeah. Yeah. It's really inappropriate. So, yes. And did you hear what I said about just loosen the map a little bit? Yeah, you're going to meet a client one day and you, this conversation will be so beautifully placed because you'll be able to teach them. You're not being able to meditate? Awesome. No, I, I, I can't meditate, honestly. Mm. And I just live by the principles. Live yes. In the There's a Buddhist stream of thought that doesn't have meditation or mindfulness in it. Rock on. Yeah. They just do academic stuff. It is. It absolutely is. Thank you. That was fun. We should do more of this in advanced skills. <laughs> Are you guys digging the conversation? Yes. So we'll do more of this next year? Yes. Yes? Okay, great. Lots of people had their hands up. Where'd you go next? Hello. Yeah. Hi. Did you hold a time up for me, Jen? Could you do that again? Thank you. I've got 45 yeah. minutes to go. I don't think so. I'm going to be here the whole day. I love it. Is that right? Okay, go ahead. All right. So my mind's just gone. Great. All over the place. But My work here is done. <laughs> This just makes so much sense to me, and I don't know why. Sometimes it's very hard for me to actually language what's going on in my head. But I just had this visual of we come complete. Like, I don't do knitting. I don't like knitting, but I, this ball of wool. Mm-hmm. I just saw this complete, complex ball of wool that as you grow up, just becomes completely tangled up, yep. full of knots. Unraveled. Um, yeah, totally a mess, like mm. a cat's gone in it and it's all over the place. And you need to take those knots out, unravel the whole thing, get the thread back, pull the ball together, and then out of that you can knit a jumper. Or Yes, yeah. the only thing I'd say about that metaphor is as long as in the meantime you're still knitting. So, And that's my point. Yeah, you've still got to be living. My point was... That in all of that, there's one thing that's missing is that thing. You've got to be living. Momentum. Yeah, exactly. The momentum and the movement. Yeah. So again, yes. your metaphor to me is below the is this. If you if people think it's about unknotting the ball, they're stuck but, here. No, no, but but I meant by the knitting of a jumper was the building part. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. In it's all this. of the unraveling, there's always motion. In all of the there building, there is motion. Yeah. To sit here and yeah. say I've learnt more about myself, show me. No, yeah, I agree. it's not helpful. You like, have show to me. actually just What's keep different? moving. Yeah, M- motion is lotion. Yes. Yeah. Motion is who? Lotion. Lotion. lotion? Yeah. It's, it's like, just, like a cream. Yeah. It's the flow. Flow. Just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, that's yeah. life. And it's and not just getting life. a knot out. It's yeah, but keep but, knitting with the knots. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. Keep knitting with the knots or keep knitting, take the knots keep out, with but just knot. keep doing something yeah. moving forward. And regardless of the knots, keep knitting. Yes. Yeah, because otherwise yeah. people use it, they'd hear that metaphor and say, okay, I've got to stop and get the knots out. No, you don't. But in all of that... I couldn't possibly. In all of that mess and completeness of the jumper, 
the stool, the complex hole. Yes. Yeah. The ball of wool. Yeah. I'll go further with that metaphor and I'd say knit regardless of what the ball of the wool's like. And maybe get the knots out, maybe don't. I I literally there's some research showing, and I think this probably applies to me to an extent, that if your parents experience anxiety when you're in the womb, you're probably going to be born with high level anxiety. I'm pretty confident, given I was unwanted, that I qualify, that literally qualify for that. And I've had anxiety, like I'm 55, and I still can get anxious. I can manage a lot better, but I think it's part of my human experience, and that's not, not, I'm, not I'm going to put any more effort into getting rid of. I the jumper has lumps. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I can relate to that. You can relate to that. I think a lot of people can. And a lot of people spend so much time, I've got to get my anxiety down. Actually, you just got to learn to function before with. Before I could even remember, I think it's sitting Same. in my being. Yeah. 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 So what I'm going to do with that, I'm not going to put any effort more, any more effort into yeah. lowering my levels of anxiety when I feel tension. <laughs> I'm going to do wonderful things with what I do with it and how I remain functional and it's part of parcel of who you are. Yeah, it and doesn't it's, stop me functioning. No, it's no. never an excuse not to function because it's part of who I am. Yeah. So I can't stop and say I've got to deal with my anxiety. No. No. I got to keep going to live with my anxiety. Yeah. So I keep some knots. It's okay. Yes. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So I want this model to be. It's very much takes away the excuse. I got to deal with that. Actually, no, yeah. you don't. <laughs> it's all for. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So I don't know. Could we put motion in that? Or, oh. Or is the future I think motion? motion's in there because these quadrants don't sit stationary. Like <coughs> I'm suggesting this is a coaching model. One, two, three, four. Yeah, okay. And, and you can pick one and get to that. You can pick that one and get to that. And you pick that. Like, and I'm, in all of that is motion. Yep. In all of it, you're aiming to get to learning for the purpose of improving your well-being and condition, life conditions. Yeah. So if you're not achieving that, you're not coaching. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. You're improving the client's well-being and life's conditions or they're improving it for themselves through this. So as long as you're achieving that, there has to be motion. And in all of that, you're creating as well. Have to be. Yeah. Otherwise awesome. it's just... Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, great. Yeah, it's yeah. wanking. Yep. Yeah. thank you. I can say that. It's a scientific word. <laughs> Who had the hands up next? Oh, Hello. Um, in the language that you've used, building healing, to me that represents our doing. It's, it's yes. So yeah. The language that you yeah. The language it does Im implicit to yeah. action. Yeah. yeah. It's not just reflect on the past for the sake of it. It's or a doing. It's a yeah. Doingness. So, I like so one of the ways I want to start looking at is how what techniques do we start putting in each of the categories? That's what I'm now at because I've got my structure and I've got my categories. Now, what do I put in each of the categories? So where do I put critical alignment model? And I'm playing with that. Where do I put CBT? Where I'm looking at that. Where do I put appreciative inquiry, which are all different techniques I'm teaching next year? I've then got to figure out where each of them sit. And there's like 30 models I can draw from, and I'm going to start working out which models sit in which quadrant. And then you can start assessing your own coaching if you're over-reliant on a quadrant or over-reliant on techniques because they're your favourite versus getting it very well balanced so you don't keep your clients stuck in heel past, heel past, heel past, heel past. Yeah? Uh, uh, not in my hands. You've had your hand up for ages. <laughs> you, you, you're going to go there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm curious, 
when you uh, were looking at resolving the anxiety, would that have been a um, um, demonstration of a safe problem for you personally? Well, not that no. I was aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Unknowingly. No. Uh, yeah, unknowingly. Yeah. Not, not helpful though. Yes, okay. but not helpful. Because if I'd known better, I would have done better. Yeah. What I find interesting is coaching someone who does know better and still does it. Okay. So yeah. safe problem includes knowing better? I think so, yeah. All oh, right. Thank you. Yeah. That's to me. Yeah. Because most people are not consciously, yeah. most people are unconsciously managing emotional activity anxiety. And they make their problems up based on trying to handle emotional activity, anxiety or tension. That's what most people are doing all day. Just walking, managing tension machines. So that's how you get your list of safe problems. But then they know about it. And then the journey is helping them. It's not a judgment. It's just guiding them to start saving, solving some problems that actually matter, which is more on the risky side. Does that make sense? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Most people are living and relating to others and seeing others through the filter of how will this relieve my tension or how will this cause me tension so I've got to do something about it. So you get control freaks. That's, that's really where I'm at. And when you look at it through that filter, it's really interesting to see how easily defensive people can get. Well, that's not defensiveness. That is them not knowing their own emotional activity and the anxiety that's triggering within them and now they're acting in a way that's managing their anxiety. They're not having a conversation with me. They're literally trying to manage their shit, which is incredibly tedious if you're trying to have a conversation with someone where you want to get something done because I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, your emotional activity is triggered in. It might be time to blah, blah, blah. It's like, you can't do that with people you don't know and it's not always appropriate. So, but then it's knowing, and then you get to learn how to have healthy relationships because the degree to which they're not aware of their emotional activity and not tuned into the fact that what they're doing right now is to manage their anxiety and they're not fessing up to it is the degree to which you can't relate with them because they're not relating with you. They're relating with their emotional activity. So my friends and I, we spend a lot of time saying, okay, that's my emotional activity. <laughs> or I get a phone call from a friend saying, okay, I'm, I'm about to tension tag you. I'm really anxious right now, but it's coming your way. And then we're doing it with awareness. So it's, it's, it doesn't become this person blasting me with their personal problems and ranting and then me just, oh, my God, I've got to handle it and I've got to support them. It's, okay, so how can we help you manage your emotional activity in this? How, what can we do? Is this something that needs to be done for you? Or is there a way that, through it for you where you feel okay about yourself? Or can you just live with the anxiety and know all fade with time. The conversation will change with someone who's a bit more conscious of it by 1%. So we're clear and humble by 1% on a good day. Does that make sense? So you can change the nature of relationships the more someone can tune into how their emotional activity is the reason for the ego or the defensiveness or the brush off or the distancing or the conflict or the shutting the shit down or blaming someone or going after someone. That's literally all social media attacks is emotional reactivity that is not being managed. That's all it is. That's why I'm not, you'll just never see me engage in it because I'm just, all I'm seeing is emotional reactivity out of control. No one ever said manage your shit. Or if they did, they said, I am, I'm going to fix that. And they think, and that's why a lot of social justice is. 
a lot of social justice. Man, I get anxious around that. I can't stand that. I'm going to fix that. Anxiety can never be managed by changing something else. You can change the structure of society and you'll still have the same level of anxiety. <laughs> How's that, social warriors? <laughs> it's true. So a lot of, and there's more, we're getting now reports back, the research is showing that anxiety in young people is 300% higher than it was a generation ago. <laughs> it's lit, you ask young people just hitting university, their number one concern, guess what it is? Mental health. Who said that? Yeah, it's mental health. Climate change is number two. Mental health. If you're more my generation, was this ever even a conversation? It wasn't even a conversation. No. Oh, fuck off with the young, young you. <laughs> Fair point. Okay, I'm sorry, I just heard something in the background. I don't know who that was. Mata, mata. Yes, so if, and then other people say, oh, it's good that we're finally talking about it. Actually, the number one issue young people of that age are dealing with is mental health issues. Okay, please explain how we've improved things. Tell me the improvement we've made by talking about it. We now have classrooms where teachers don't help their children become resilient. They teach the theory of resilience. They talk about it. Instead of, how do you build resilience? Being pushed and having to suck it up and handling and finding a way through and finding out what your character is, finding out what your values are, finding out what your traits are. You now know resilience. Resilience is not a concept. It's not intellectualization. It's not a theory. It is a being. Well, how can a teacher teach resilience? Tell me the class. Yeah, I Google, I, I know about discipline. It's like Goodwill Hunting, if you've seen the movie, which was you know, before you were fucking born, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> My grandparents told me about it. <laughs> Sorry. So I don't remember how we got to there, but that was cool. I'll leave it as that. Yeah, it was cool. Yes. Oh, that's right. I was begging you out for being young. Always good fun. Thank you. <laughs> Um, it's interesting that you talk about teachers teaching resilience. Um, and I had a friend who was doing that, teaching resilience in secondary school. Yeah. And an amazing catastrophe has just happened to her. Mm -hmm. And she has threatened to kill herself five times. Yeah. And, and she's an expert on resilience. That's right. And I, I've been coaching her through that. Yeah. And saying, well, you're actually now experiencing what true resilience is. It's going to need. And, and you're going to need. And she goes, don't tell me to fucking dig deep again. You know? Interesting. <laughs> and I said, well, what, what else? You know, you're going to have what to have you been who teaching? you're made of. Yeah. You know? And until you know that, <coughs> well um, done. you won't be able to handle it. So, so five times it's been a while, dig deep. Yes. Dig deeper. Yep. Dig deeper. And, and it's interesting that people want to theorise resilience, don't want to apply it. Yeah, no, I had, um, you were saying you wanted to over, well, think about um, ABC, Cognitive Behaviour Therapy. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering, like I... Scribbled. Well, more than just but, ABC, the other yeah, stuff as well. Well, yeah. yeah, the other stuff, but combining. I was just thinking of uh, sort of like... Uh, Why don't you tell us? Go on, everyone to know. Um, what is it? Well, I'm thinking of hero, the client being hero and the rest yeah. the journey. And then also like a spiral effect around mm. the building, future healing, or circles. Yeah, so you're seeing... Would you start here? 
Yeah, I was thinking no, it, D, uh, D in self and then going We'd out. have to start here. So I was thinking, like, dispute, yeah, going out. So that's the client's journey. And then keep It's going. not accurate because in that case, pass would be on this side. Because the, the secret, so no. Oh, I, went, I went the other way. Oh, fuck. All right. <laughs> so I started for that. right down the bottom. Here. I started, no, I started right down the bottom. Yeah. And then drew in past. No, 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 other way. Well, you just said draw in past. No, no, no. Like that way and then a circle. So past starts and, and then, then it goes spiral that way. So then. Again, I'm going to tell you no. It's not going to work. So I did the sort of healing. Yeah. It depends on the. Yeah, I'm going to say it again. It you can't hit future ahead of building. Yeah. Well, uh, the other way, the other way that I started was just three, three circles. Yeah. Like play with that. Circles, so I don't know if we need to add that because I think you should be able to draw from any quadrant in a coaching yeah. session, and I want you to be free to draw from any quadrant. I, I'm not. With the, with the plain circle. Yeah, I'm going to say you could just play there, which has no circle. <coughs> you might just do a whole session there, and that would be great. Yeah, you still, you, you still could on, the, on that one. Again, if you've got a circle, the implication is all four have to be covered in every session, and I'm going to say no. You can't. Yeah. I don't believe that. Yeah, okay. I, th I don't want to be that rigid about it. Uh, whoever's next, Amy, go for it. Uh, I wanted to know what you were going to say about Goodwill Hunting because it's such a profound movie. Was there well, there's a scene in the movie where they're sitting on a park bench, his mentor and the character played by Matt Damon. Will, in fact, the character is Good Will. Will Hunting, in fact. Siri. And... <laughs> Thanks, Siri. I feel reassured. I was referring to the park bench scene where Will conceptualised and could articulate how his mentor was damaged by losing his wife and, and all of that and then how the character played by Robin Williams said, I finally slept like a baby when I realised you don't know any of it. You just know of it. You don't read about Vietnam and you get to tell me you know Vietnam. You don't get to read or listen to a podcast about physics and say you know physics. You don't know anything until you've had the experience. And that's what I'm trying to say about this model. There are too many people, which I'm not going to redo, there are too many people who think if they know themselves from their past or what happened to them that somehow there's progress. But there's not. It could turn into progress. It could grow into something wonderful. But if you sit there just knowing bad things that happened to you from your past, it's just a form of intellectual wanking. That's all it is. Nothing's happened. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that was the scene where Robin Williams, the character who played, um, where he says, you know nothing. You've read about Vietnam. You don't know what it is to hold your best friend in your arms and watch their life go out of their eyes, which was the scene. It's like, well, he doesn't. You don't know what it is to send a body. You don't know it. You know of it. 
And that's the problem I'm having with the socialist teachers I'm running into who speak of knowing employee and employer relations when they only know employee paid by the tax man. Go and fucking generate the millions of dollars necessary for your salary. Then come and tell me what you know and what I should do. But until you've walked that path, you can only theorise the path. And it's very easy to create an idealistic view of what my business should look like when all you have to do is take taxpayer salary and have a view on it. It's basically the man in the arena. And and I'm just so mindful which seat, what position is someone when they're having that view. And I'm wanting a lot of humility in that view. If you haven't done it, you haven't walked it, haven't experienced it, haven't done trapes through the mud of it and experienced the resilience of it, you know shit. And that needs to be okay. That needs to be cool. And I think that's really good place to come from. A lot of coaches could do with that. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Amy, thank you. Again, I'm just trying to unravel things, but with that conversation you had about resilience, mm. I mean, in, in, in all of that, no one, you can't bring resilience and all of that to someone who's no. had things easy. Same thing. But I was listening to a, a podcast on my run the day before yesterday, and I can't remember who the guy was, but okay. it was a Mexican um, guy that went over to the US because obviously that was a better life for him. And he started out as a dog walker. Yep. And apparently he's like a multi million dollar. You're talking you know, about my favorite dog trainer. Yeah. Who was Dog Whisperer? The dog whisperer. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. He tried to commit suicide. He did. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was listening to. I couldn't remember his name. And what I what I. He's the dog whisperer. He doesn't have a dog, name. Yeah, <laughs> the dog whisperer. And when we were talking about their conversation about uh, followers and leaders, he was actually talking about the, the well in nature in in a dog pack, you would have followers, and then of course you've got leaders. Yep. And then. You all kind of work together. When a leader drops off, then it's the opportunity for the next leader to take the position. Of you hope so. It, you hope so. Yeah, yeah, you do. But it could work. It couldn't work. Exactly. But it is is a doggy dog world, I guess, in a sense. If one just looks at it, that's not how I look at it. No, no, no. Because um, a dog's consciousness and instinct is to dominate or yeah. to follow. I don't believe humans only work with those, those two paradigms. I okay, think we work yeah. with other paradigms. We have that, yeah. but we also have um, collaboration. And, yeah. yeah, we have a lot more subtlety more and nuance subtlety. to our pack mentality. Yeah. But you could draw that dimension out of it, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be the only dimension to go yeah. with. Because if I stepped out and JP stepped out of the business, it wouldn't be dog-eat-dog dog to run the business. No, 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 no. They'd all yeah. be very adult yeah. and yeah. You know, poison each other privately. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he, he, no, that wouldn't yeah. figure it out. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm so funny. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That was so bad of me. <laughs> no, he, he was amazing. His talk was really, I loved the talk about the resilience and also sort of that analogy. But I was also reading a book last night called, I don't know if anyone's heard of this book called The Body Keeps Score. And it's all about this kind of healing yep. stuff. And, um, sorry, I've forgotten your name again. You were talking before. It made me think about the, this passage that I read, which was about um, the research that, have, that they have done with, with dogs 
especially ones that are kept in capture. Um, even though they grew up that way, kept in ca capture and treated really, really incredibly badly, you know, beaten up and all got it, that. Got it, got it, when, when the door was open, they never seek the opportunity to actually leave the cage, even when it was wide open. Yeah. Because that was the only thing they knew. Yeah. They only knew that being treated that way and within that familiarity of of their life that they knew, there was security in that and therefore they don't leave. And I, I believe they say the same about animals or, or like elephant in yeah. India. We've got the point. What's, yeah. how, what's the analogy you're bringing? I, I've got what you're saying. Yeah. Why are you sharing this? How is this useful to what we're discussing? I'm just trying to understand your thinking. Okay. Yay, yes, yes, and? Yeah, yeah. I, mm, good point. I guess I'm trying to I'm unravel things in my mind. Great. Yeah. And yeah. you're doing it in public. And I love that. Yeah. You should carry on. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. Amy. Um, th all this discussion of um, the self and the whole self has me considering not just the four quadrants but what's happening in the middle and the possible representation of the middle with the self and the now. And um, I'm considering you know, the contrast of rigidity and flexibility and how momentum, once we start to build momentum and move between the qu quadrants, the middle can become more flexible. I love it. But it starts off rigid and there'll yes. be resistance to move initially, but once you get momentum... Maybe. Yeah, Possibly. Po yeah, po that's a possibility. And this should constantly be redefined the moment any quadrant shifts in our consciousness. Mm -hmm. The whole thing for you is a dispute. No, I no, love no, that. Oh, the D, that's where you put it for cognitive behavioural thing. That's yeah. the D for you. We'll talk, okay, we'll teach that next year. We won't use terms we don't... Yep. And, and I have a follow-up question for you yep. on that, is what possible models would you consider layering in the centre? Well, that was, that's the great question. I think these are the cause of the shift in this mm -hmm. rather than the other way around. So this makes the decision, I'm going to get some coaching or I'm going to study something. But after that, we're attempting to impact positively consciousness in the now to create more well-being and a better life circumstance. So I think the impact points go in. Oh, oh. And you could even bring in the analogy with the ball of wool is that we can still knit a lumpy jumper. And, sure, um, yeah, everyone does. Yeah, and expand our clients' maybe relationship to what is a whole self. Well, a whole self can be... A lumpy jumper. It is going to be a lumpy jumper for everyone. Mm -hmm. I think those arrows just got added because of this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was similar to what I was trying to say. Okay. It's activating their beliefs already. <coughs> so are you activating beliefs? Don't use the jargon, please. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so I think the arrow is going in, definitely. What do you guys reckon? Yeah. Love it. Good work. We're improving the model right before our eyes. Um, in relation to the dog pack, is it is it a better scenario to refer to like um, like Joe was talking to us about the other day, like a peloton, rather than the dog in the dog pack? As you say, it's either dominant or following, yep. and we're more complex, a little more complex than that. The peloton, if they drop off, they just go out the back, and somebody takes it up. But we've still got all that complexity inside the peloton moving forward as a group, rather than 
that more singular thought process. Still doesn't work for me. I, I don't mind you thinking about it that way. Any of these analogies are simplistic and will do, yeah. but they don't really demonstrate the complexity of ego, of emotional people being emotionally reactive in a moment when leadership is called for, resilience is called for. Like, you, Peloton is a purity of physicality. Yeah. A dog pack is a purity of instinctive physicality. Yeah. Human behaviour is not. In fact, physicality when it comes to leadership is the least if you look at the leader of the free world right now. Physicality's got nothing to yeah. do with it. So yeah. that's where my it, it breaks down for me as an analogy because physicality is irrelevant with the, hum with the human species. It's literally irrelevant to determine it could be brain power, it could be smarts, it could be manipulation, it could be nobody else wants the fucking job. I mean, there are so many other variables. In Peloton, it's just who's in front, who's in front. Yeah. Do you get yeah. what it is? It's yes. mechanistic. Yes. A Peloton is yeah. mechanistic. Yeah. A dog pack is instinctive. Human behaviour can be both and about four other dimensions yeah, right. that I can think yeah. of. Yeah. So yes and no. Yeah. Cool. Yeah? Yeah. To ever think if you're going to uh, walk in and coach someone and who, they who wants to step aside from leadership and naturally the next person will come through on the flow, you are in for a world of hurt. Yeah. It has never gone that way. There is agendas and fears and personal preferences and egos and limits and beliefs and weird versions of what it means to be a leader. There are so many things beyond the mechanistic world that fucks up leadership. Most people fuck up leadership. Yeah. Whereas a peloton... Happens. Yeah. Do you get the difference? Yes, absolutely. In fact, if yeah. you define leadership as the least possible fuck-ups possible in a day, that should be the leader, you're probably on a good track. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Whereas a peloton, they're going for gold. For most people, it's about how can I get through the day without doing too many terrible conversations that are about me. Yeah. How are we doing this conversation, guys? Interesting? Okay. Mm, I love this conversation. Um, and going back to how you started this about you getting your mind blown yeah. about this idea of there being no space and time yeah. and the 99% and the 1%. I'm thinking all of that that you've just talked about, if there is no space and time, is arising at exactly the same moment. Yes, because it is. Because there is no time yes. like, and there is no space. So yeah. I guess that's. I just love thinking about that. <laughs> um, I do it's too. Like they're all coming up at the same time. So it doesn't matter what your client presents with because yes. they'll be in one of these quadrants. Yes, and that's the thread in to, like, yes. follow that pathway in what, and you can cross over and go around and around. Wonderful. It doesn't matter. It yeah, doesn't matter. It, I think it needs to be a, yeah. no dichotomies, no. there's no sequence, it's just there needs to be a flow and a dance. And what I really love about that, I was thinking about the movie The Matrix. Um, it's in the second one where the lady sort of says, we're not here to figure out why. We're, we're here to, what is it, we're here to understand the choices we've made. So you were talking about cause and effect Yes. Earlier. Yeah, yeah. So if there's no time and space. Because the spoon's already there's no, bent. There was yeah. no cause so and effect. It was just knowing here. there is no spoon. Yeah. So it's not figuring out how why? the spoon bends yeah. or why it bends. No. It's to realise it's any reality you choose. That's right. But then they said, because I thought, I'm onto it, the matrix. <laughs> <laughs> then they said there are no possibilities. Listen well, to the podcast. Don't have, don't have yeah. a view. It might not. It might bump against yeah. our version of reality, yeah. but that's the joy of learning. 
They said there's no possibilities. There is only determinism. That the book is already written. Spoon. So that's fun. So it's worth listening to just to, you know, argue with yourself for about a month. <laughs> so what do you reckon on this model and this definition of coaching? How Maybe start in group. We'll work from it for next year and start teaching from this model. And then when we feel or hear or sense our conversations are getting out of balance because we're getting too much into the past or too much into the blah, just oh, hang on. Are we balancing this out in our coaching sessions? Are we letting the client see all of the permutation they can draw and in combining them? I mean, how, how's that? We can combine them in interesting ways. Anxiety, for example, there's nothing to be healed. <laughs> Live with that. <laughs> what do you reckon? Rather than putting all the time and effort. Now, there is CBT techniques for lowering anxiety, but there is also biological mechanisms that cause anxiety from birth. And so you ain't going to fight City Hall on that one. So then it's about resolving how do I live being this in a way that's awesome instead of resisting it and CBTing it and fighting it and trying to pretend it's not real and telling myself I'll live a great life when I get over it. You ain't getting fucking over it. Now what are you going to do? How, do you know what I mean? So sometimes it's almost about more acceptance in there. Yes. Oh, good. <laughs> dog that wouldn't leave the cage because it's wide open just because it knows its familiarity that dog needs to go through the healing in order to be shown another way yes or give, given choices to be able to go into the or it could model one. by seeing an example of someone already having a future that's different to theirs so which is what happens freedom. in the beagle scene one dog does yeah. it and the other dog goes really yeah <laughs> That's weird. So that's modelling, right? That's yes, so their modelling is, is a future technique. Yeah. Whew. This is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so excited. You could almost argue modelling is a building future technique. It might sit on the axes going up because I think modelling is one of the ultimate techniques. It must be. You're going to model different models as our consciousness changes. So let's go forth with this model and let me know how you go with coaching from it. Notice where you tend to be leaning, where you have favourites and what is that doing to your coaching and what is it not doing, what's not, we've got a hand up, what's not becoming available to the client because of a preference you have, which is your consciousness. How am I doing here? And what happens when you start balancing it a bit more? We'll go here, then here. Yeah. So I see this as like a fluid medium model where we yes. can place all the other models that we That's the idea. And then rotate it around and then we can just Yes. It's just a free base where you can I would really say critical alignment sits across all of them mm. and I'd say basic CBD fix uh, yeah. s- help me. CBT fix sits across all of them. Mm. I believe basic NLP sits across all of them. There's a number where all the models fit every quadrant. So the idea of responsibility for change is in all of them. Because if it's not you, it ain't your mum. So does that make sense? Yeah. Anyway, something to play with for the next 12 months. Yes, we'll wrap up here. And now I get that you say we can't coach on things that are not resolved for us. Yeah. Because when you just said, what is our preference? If I'm not healed with my past, 
My preference would go would be to go to the past of my clients. Yes, and think they have to hear. Totally. It. Yeah, I get it now. Thank you. Yeah, and, and I think I can see it in the with our coaches that a lot of people are buying the ambassador programs that are past orientated. Like the Quest is a past healing orientation program. Your ultimate your ultimate self is a past healing orientation. How am I doing here? And most of our students buy those, like most, buy those programs. Guess how many buy disruptive leadership and the stuff that makes you money, ultimate influence that teaches you sales? It's like the smallest fraction of the community because it's a future, you've already got, you've got some game-oriented program. So most of our coaches are avoiding their own futures. This is an amazing way to know where you are. Totally. Oh, Absolutely. So when I hear a coach telling me, oh, I'm just loving Quest or I'm loving YUS, I think it's great. And how are you going with sales? Oh, I'm building up my confidence with that. You're literally disregarding building the skills you need for your future because you think the journey is to heal your past before you can have one. And it's just wrong. It's just dead wrong. There is no way we have a better future once say, we've healed our past because we'll never, ever, ever completely heal and we're not ever going to heal our past. We're only ever going to heal ourselves right now for our future. So it's a really good way to tell where you're putting your investments. Where are your choices? Investments in time. What are you reading? Are all your books about conceptualizing, intellectualizing? Or are they about activity? So there's a difference between application and theory. Do you get the difference? <laughs> where are you living there? That's one way of looking at it. Are you looking to heal you from your past or learn more about you or you're putting into how to build your future. You're going to build one or the other. You're not talking? Yes? No? Yeah. It's just a good way to assess it. And I get we're all afraid of what we're unfamiliar with and we're very familiar with our past and we're very unfamiliar with our future. But if we stay afraid of our future, we'll keep investing in the stuff that lets us get to know our past better. But it doesn't give us a better future. It really doesn't. So that's, to me, really interesting and very telling when you're with a client, where they're investing their time, energy, and money, and you will literally see where they are with this. And for yourselves. Has this been an eye-opener for you guys? Yeah, just without a mic, just a couple of key learnings, and then I'm, I'm out of time. Yeah. Yeah. Use, yes, oh my God, yes. Teach, go forth. So it is um, attributed to Sharon Pearson at the Coaching Institute 2019. In fact, to say 2020. Yeah, and then you can use it. Like, just please give me attribution. Always, I only ask for that and I ask for no fees for this. Just have it, use it, share it, put it in your books, quote it. Just always give attribution properly. That would be great. Yeah. It does. It does. I agree with you. It does. Decisions that are orientated to the past versus decisions that are orientated to the future. I love that. Very cool way of thinking. Then, yeah, what did you have? It does. The book is balanced around, the new book is balanced around both. Right. So it is building my business because now I'm building different kinds of relationships and different, I accept different clients based on 
Good. Yeah. So your perception of what's available in terms, I love that. Good, good. Well, that was my goal. I certainly was looking to create a balance. Yes. Good. Good. Great. Great. That's a great insight. Thank you for that. Who's next? We'll wrap up with just a couple more comments. Someone here had their hand up. It was all covered beautifully by what you said. Yes. Yeah, I ran a number of sessions. You would want this to balance out. And I don't mind obsession with one quadrant yeah. in a session and maybe even two. Like I would work with clients who've experienced sexual abuse and I would do a major four-hour to five-hour intervention, mm-hmm. that upfront one that I always talk about, and it's all healing past, pretty well the whole thing. There's some orientation in the future. If I can squeeze in a values elicitation, that's, that's definitely an orientation to now and future. The sessions after that, it's almost like I'm cleaning the drain, which is a horrible analogy. But when I work with a client who experienced that, I'm basically unplugging and allowing, because anybody who experienced trauma as a child has their development around that area stalls there. So I think I'm, the way I envision, I'm unplugging it, and now they can now deal with relationships, but they don't understand trust. So now I'm going to future orientate them on how to trust self. I'm literally going to teach them techniques of values orientation Values elicitation and living by values. That's starting to self-trust. Then I'm going to start teaching them self-esteem triad. Or you could do it the other way around, which is more orientation to now and the future. It's not a heal, it's a movement. Because you've got healthy needs, boundaries and emotions. How am I doing here? You now have more ability to self-trust. Then I'll start teaching whatever's next. You get, and, and I just go through the process of helping them start building what they didn't ever build. Because if you experience trauma as a child, your life's heading that way. Because it's a reaction to this, which is a reaction to this, which is a reaction to this, and so on throughout life. They come to me at 40. They've been heading in a direction that prevents them ever experiencing hurt. Their choice is around how do I avoid being hurt? How do I avoid having to trust anyone? How do I avoid letting anyone get close to me? All their decisions are around avoiding the thing they'd never developed. We unplug it. Now they're ready to develop it. They're now going to create an orientated different future. So that's what I think the work I do is when I experience clients who've had trauma, which is pretty well fucking everyone. Does that make sense? So this model incorporates that because it's going to be deep state repatterning. But how's this deep state repatterning? which is the timeline technique where I teach you that, I think in Metamagic, I meant to teach you in Metamagic. Oops. <laughs> it did one year. <laughs> okay, that's a wrap from me. Was that fun and useful? Yes. Hey, I'm Sharon Pearson, and I really want to thank you firstly so much for joining me on the Perspectives journey. And your feedback is so appreciated. I'm so pleased that you're digging it. Please send in any questions you have about topics around different human perspectives that you'd love me to chat about. Coming up in this Perspectives episode, we have something a little different for you, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. 
At different times throughout the year, I am fortunate enough and privileged enough to be able to present live in one of our training rooms here at the Coaching Institute campus which means I'm in front of a studio of people, wonderful coaches, people who are interested in coaching methodologies, who are simply passionate about being their very best selves. And we have cameras everywhere. It's one of the perks of having this beautiful campus and all the technology and the phenomenal team we have. So there's cameras everywhere and we capture it. We thought what better gift to bring you today in this Perspectives episode was a snippet from one of those trainings where I dive deep into an aspect of human behavior that I believe will really give you phenomenal value. So you get to see me live. It'll be either an online recording or it could be me live in front of an audience. Either way, it's going to be an aspect of how we can rock out at this thing called life in a way that has deep meaning for ourselves, because that's what this is all about. It's your perspective on a phenomenal life. So enjoy the show. You may find at different times, I might mention different things that aren't on camera. Use your imagination to fill in the gaps. Mostly, however, the narrative will unfold in a way that will make sense and I trust you get great value from. I look forward to your feedback and I hope if this goes well, we get to bring you more shows from live events that we do here at the campus here in Melbourne, Australia.